0: Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Um, rest of you, go ahead and get your Bibles open to Nehemiah chapter number 8. Nehemiah chapter number 8. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> majesty, turn number one up on, turn one, turn it up a little bit. <clears throat> All right, and Majesty, uh, and Majesty chapter 8, good Lord. <laughs> well, that's blasphemous right there. All right, I resign. No, okay. <laughs> in Nehemiah, uh, chapter number 8, this this, this point in Nehemiah, uh, we've seen God do some incredible things. Of course, uh, Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah actually begins way back in Ezra, uh, with Zerubbabel, who is led back, uh, leads a, a group of captives back from uh, Babylon to rebuild the temple. Uh, and then, of course, Ezra comes to kind of reestablish the community and the worship of God. And then Nehemiah comes later to rebuild the wall. And some, some incredible things have happened in the nation of Israel during the book of Nehemiah by chapter number 8. First of all, God has laid on the heart of the Babylonian and the Persian kings... The, you know, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar came in, he destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, stole all the artifacts, uh, from the temple of God, led all the, the able-bodied Jews captive, took them 800 miles, uh, into captivity. They'd been there for about 400 years. But God laid on the heart of the enemy kings, the kings who had profited from the destruction of Jerusalem, laid on their heart to send back the very captives they took with them back to Jerusalem. Zerubbabel goes back, he takes back with him the riches from the temple. He takes the ark and He takes the the serving utensil. He takes all the gold that Nebuchadnezzar had stolen. It is given back to him to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And so God does some incredible things, sends the Persian king, lays on his heart to send Ezra and Nehemiah back to rebuild the wall, to strengthen and rebuild what his kingdom had destroyed. And so it's just an incredible book that is, that is, that shows some wonderful work of God. And of course, when Nehemiah comes back in 52 days, not, and he doesn't have a construction crew. He doesn't have a team of engineers. He not he doesn't hire the work out. 52 days, laymen, farmers. Uh, A lot of these, we, we saw a couple weeks ago, a lot of the people who are helping with the work of building the wall are perfumers. Their job is to make stuff smell nice, not build rock walls. But God uses these people who have no skills, have no training, have no really knowledge of what to do, and in 52 days... Hundreds of miles of wall around the city of Jerusalem are rebuilt, they're restored, the, the doors are put in, in a structural standpoint, Jerusalem looks great. The walls are rebuilt, they're reinforced, they've got, uh, they've got a political system in place where they're being governed, they've got the religious leaders there, they've got the wall rebuilt, they're defended, they've got their houses. From a structural human standpoint, everything looks great. But God did not send Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah back just to build the infrastructure of Jerusalem. That was the beginning of the work. The real work that God wanted to do wasn't to rebuild walls and to rebuild the tabernacle and to to kind of restore the the city to a, a place of glory and the infrastructure. The real work He wanted to do was in the heart of the people. He wanted to restore the Israelites to fellowship and worship with God. And it started when Zerubbabel, about 70 years before Nehemiah, brings 42,000 Jews back from captivity. But when, when he gets back and, you know, Ezra and Nehemiah, it's a, it's a, it's a great story that, that's why I've said I could probably spend a year or two just going through all the themes in these books. Cause when Zerubbabel comes back, he rebuilds the temple. Incredible. Again, an incredible, uh, show of God's using the people. They get it built in record time and people are so ecstatic. But there's one group of people who aren't happy. And that's the old people. I'm not saying y'all are bad. Uh, if the Holy Spirit lays it on your heart, that's between you and God, not me. But the older people who had seen the temple in its glory look at the temples that built and say, it's not as good. It's not as big. It's not as fancy. It's not like it used to be. So there's conflict there. And then, of course, Zerubbabel, he's mad at them, but then also there's, there's people who had been born after the captivity in Jerusalem who he doesn't want to worship there because he goes, you're not real Jews. So there's conflict. Then Ezra comes back and he tries to reestablish worship. Same thing happens. The, the older people who are like, you know, it's not like it used to be. And then Ezra's like, well, these people who were born... Uh, in Israel after captivity, they're half-Jews, they're not real Jews, they can't worship with us. And so it's been, it's been a mess. God has been trying to work on the hearts of the people, but nothing's really, really worked. That changes in chapter 8. In chapter 8, God calls the nation of Israel to true, authentic worship of Him. That's really something I don't think we understand as believers today, I heard a story uh, about a, a church. Uh, the preacher was up preaching, and he'd been preaching for about you know fifteen twenty minutes, uh, and so he had about another eighty minutes to go. But he's up there preaching, and they had an emergency. An older man in the congregation he he passed out, and he had kind of a medical emergency. They weren't sure what's going on, so the preacher keeps preaching, but the ushers go out. And they call nine one one. The ambulance gets there, and the, they come to the door, and the usher says. Uh, We have a guy, he he passed out, he he may be dead, we don't know, but he looks like he's sleeping in there. Y'all just go in and get him, don't worry about it, keep preaching. Y'all just go get the guy that looks like he's sleeping and he'll be fine. took the paramedics 45 minutes to find the right guy because he took out 12 men who were sleeping beforehand. (laughs) Because we don't understand what true worship is. Nehemiah chapter 8 shows us a beautiful picture of not just what authentic worship looks like, but how we can experience it today. You know, many people, we, they go to church every Sunday. But too many people, they go to church every Sunday, but they never really experience the worship of God. Gordon Dow said, Modern man worships his work, works at his play, and plays at his worship. That's not what I want for us as believers today. I don't want us to do church. I want us to worship our Savior. And in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, the Jewish people, they'd spent 52 days doing incredible intense labor, reconstructing the wall around Jerusalem, but that wasn't the real work that God needed to do, needed done. Now, that was just the beginning of what God had wanted to complete and do when he called Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem. And thankfully, the Israelites inside the city, they recognized that. They recognized that God didn't just want a wall built, God wanted to do something in their hearts. And so what's happening inside the walls, what's happening in the heart of the people in Jerusalem is the most important thing. It's more important than what was happening around the city or the work that was getting done on the city. Once the walls were completed, they wanted to hear from God. They wanted to worship God. And so that's exactly what they did. You know, I hear from older Christians all the time. And again, I promise you, I'm not picking on, on, on the senior citizens. I'm not trying to harp on you all. God may be, but I'm not. No, uh, you know, but I hear from older Christians all the time. You know, we, they kind of uh, lament the olden days because a lot of y'all remember. I never experienced it, but I've heard a lot of stories where y'all would have revival and it would start at like six o'clock and it had scheduled to end at eight, but revival goes till midnight and it should be a, a week long meeting, but then it turns into two or three or four or five weeks and just. Just incredible things happening and and people getting saved and people getting baptized and people repenting and and really coming forward uh, of course, you may have heard lately there's there's a revival down in Ashbury uh, Christian College where uh, and it's just spontaneous uh, it wasn 't a planned thing just they they have a chapel service after chapel service they dismiss, but the kids don 't go anywhere they just keep praying and crying out to God and weeping and repenting and and just incredible things happening. You can't manufacture that. Revival isn't something we we schedule once a year. Revival is something that we experience that that happens through the Spirit and the moving of the Word of God. That's exactly what happened in the book of Nehemiah. They experienced an outbreak of true revival, of true worship. And it can happen for us as well, but we have have to build it on the same thing. And the revival and the worship in Nehemiah chapter 8 is its foundation was the Word of God. Let's start reading in chapter 8. Look at verse number 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded to Israel and and Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation both of men and women and all could hear with understanding upon the first day of the 7th month now i'm going to focus real quick on that last phrase the first day of the 7th month now that doesn't mean anything to us. You know, the first day of the seventh month, what that's that's no big deal to us. It's not an important thing. But in the Jewish calendar, it was one of the holiest times of their year. The first day of the seventh month was to them our new year's. It was the beginning of a new year, and it was the beginning of a lot of celebrations and a lot of feasts that they would, would go through, but they, the purpose of the feast was to honor God and to worship God. But because man does this throughout the years, these kind of feasts and these kind of traditions have just become mundane. It was just something that they, they did. It's, it's a lot like our, our Thanksgiving. You know, the, the original purpose of Thanksgiving after the Civil War was to really give thanks about the freedom and the, the peace that God had brought, and people would get together and really talk about how thankful they are and what God has done, and now it's it's a good excuse. And look, I, I love Thanksgiving because we get together and eat more than is, is humanly possible and make enough food to feed a small country uh, sometimes. Uh, but it's just, we kind of lost what the, the real meaning of it. We really struggle with it at Christmas time. Christmas is commercialized. We forget that it, it's not about presence and Santa and tradition. It's about it's about worshiping the fact that God came for us. And so, the first day of the the the, the seventh month in the Jewish calendar was their New Year's, uh, but it was it was really uh, marked. It started the the uh, celebration of important festivals. On the first day, they would celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. This was to remember how God had given them the city of Jericho when they crossed over into their first incredible victory. Where God told Joshua, "Hey, here's your, here's your battle plan. March around once a day for seven days, on the seventh day march around seven times, blow your trumpet, boom, you're victorious. Makes no sense, but it worked. It was a power of God. And so the Feast of Trumpets was them to remember how God had given them incredible victory as they crossed into the Promised Land and God had done everything for them. And so the first day was the Feast of Trumpets. And on the tenth day, they would celebrate the Day of Atonement where they would bring the lamb to the tab- to the temple and they would sacrifice. Each family would bring a lamb and they would sacrifice that lamb. And God would atone for their sins or cover their sins for the year. Vital time in the life of the Israelites. But of course, they'd kind of forgotten about it and kind of become mundane. Then on the, the, uh, the 15th, uh, on the tenth, they would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, on the fifteenth and the twenty first, uh, from the fifteenth to the twenty first, and this was, of course, celebrating how God had given them the tabernacle in the in the wilderness. And for forty years, God had walked with them in the wilderness, and then God had been with them in the Promised Land as they went around conquering the Promised Land. But no matter where they went, no matter what they were going through, God was there with them. This was a vital time. In the life of Israel and how they observed these feasts and these holy days, it said a lot about uh, a lot about how they would serve and how they would worship God. Thankfully, they made the right decision. They didn't look at their calendar and say, "Oh man, holy days are coming up. Better you know get the family together, buy some gifts, let's go through the motions." They said, "No, no." no. We need to hear from God. So they go to Ezra and say, Ezra, bring the Bible, and read the Bible to us. So let's start reading verse number 3 again. Chapter 8, verse 3. And he read therein before the street, that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday. I don't want you all complaining that I preach too long. Because Ezra, I mean, he ain't preaching yet, he's just reading the Bible. And here's the thing, he's reading the Old Testament. He's going through Leviticus. He's going through the seven chapters of Thou Shalt. and people are loving it. So read it from from the morning until the midday. Before the men and the women and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribes, uh, stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattaniah and Shema and Ananiah and Uriah and Hikaliah and Masana on his right hand and on his left hand, Badiah and Mishael and Mekaliah and Hashem and Hasbedanda da 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 Y'all don't know it either. Zechariah and Methuselah and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people and when he opened it all the people stood up and as were blessed the lord the great god and then the people answered amen amen with lifting up of their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the lord with their faces to the ground also jeshua and benai and shirabina and Jacob, akub uh these people y'all just read those names uh and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood there and stood in their place. So they read the book and the law uh, of God distinctively and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Now there's a lot of things going on in these chapters, uh, but I want to focus on three things that true authentic worship, true life changing, world changing revival requires if we're going to experience that today. First thing, number one, Connor, it requires a longing for God's Word. A longing, Connor. A longing for God's Word. Thank you, Majesty. Take his phone and throw it out. Uh, no, don't do that. It requires a longing for God's Word. The people inside Jerusalem, they gathered for one purpose only, to hear somebody read the Bible to them. They longed to hear the law of Moses. They longed to hear the Word of God. They recognized the need that they had in their lives to hear and believe and honor and obey the Word of God. It wasn't forced on them. They weren't gathered up and Ezra and Nehemiah get together and say, look, we've built this wall, now y'all are going to sit here. and The wall's up, the doors are locked, y'all can't go anywhere, you're going to listen to us no matter what. No, they desired to hear God's Word. Chuck Swindoll says about this passage, he says, it's helpful to know that at this time, there was a spiritual vacuum in the city. The wall reconstruction project had been completed and the people had moved into their own dwellings. According to chapter 7, which is a detailed chapter on organizational structure, the people were now well-ordered, well-defended, and well-governed. But in this community, even though its residents had nice homes and good jobs and were well-protected, there was something missing. Nehemiah senses the spiritual vacuum as of the people. A timeless truth emerges from all of this. It's not enough to have well-constructed structures if there's little or no life on the inside how true this is in the church. We've all seen beautiful buildings and well-oiled organizational machinery and later found out that was it. God doesn't want us to have beautiful buildings, nice facilities, a a perfectly structured and organized, well-oiled machine if there's no spiritual life going on inside. God wants us to be that The people in, in Nehemiah's day, they didn't want a fancy machine with the bells and whistles that didn't do anything. They wanted to worship God. They wanted to hear from God. They wanted to walk with God, to be used by Him. True worship always involves a longing for God's Word. And I believe that's what's missing from a lot of churches and a lot of Christians today. When you come to church... Why do you come? Do you come because that's what good Christians do? Now, I know some of the younger people here, you say, I come to church because my mom made me. And, uh, you know, my, my mom and dad made me get. And look, great, that's good. I, that That's fine. And I heard a lot of uh, people say, you know, I was raised on drugs. I was drugged to church and drugged to Sunday school and drugged to Wednesday night Bible study and all that. Stuff. And that's great because it begins, getting, that's fine to start off with, but as you get older and you older folks, why do you come? Do you come because that's just what you're, It's what you've always done. I'm coming to check off my spiritual to-do list. I'm coming to be a good person. I'm coming to feel good about myself. Or do you come because you have a longing to hear the Word of God being preached? To hear the truth of the Word of God being taught and read? That's great, but here's the thing. If all you're doing is coming, all the time you're getting the Word of God is on Sunday, you're not getting enough. We need to have a longing to hear the Word of God taught and preached and read to us and explained to us on Sunday. But you got to have a longing to read it Monday too, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday. We need to have a longing to say, you know what, I need the Word of God like I need bread. That's what Jesus says in His prayer, give us this day our daily bread. You can go a, a day without eating couple of days without eating. If you're fasting and you're doing it right, you can go you know, maybe a week or two. But you know, after a while, you're going to start feeling hungry and you're going to get weak and you're going to need food. And your body's going to crave it. We need to crave the Word of God like our body craves food. I think we should crave the Word of God like your body craves oxygen. Because again, you can go a couple days without food. You can go about two and a half minutes without oxygen before you pass out and your body starts breathing on its own. We have to, We need to desire and to crave the Word of God. Not just being explained to us, but reading it, and studying it, and memorizing it, and meditating on us. We don't have a longing for the Word of God. And one of the reasons I think so is because to us, it's commonplace. Again, the Jews here, they wanted to hear the Word of God. You know what they had to do? They had to go to Ezra and say, Ezra, can you go into the temple and get the only copy the entire city has and read it to us? They couldn't just open up their family Bible in their living room and read it. They couldn't just open up their phone and pick an app and have, you know, Alexander Scorby read the Bible to them. They had to have someone read it because they didn't have copies of it. And we, we have copies everywhere. You know, I've got... I've got Seven or eight Bibles. This one, this here, this is my preaching Bible. I have a Bible just for preaching. You know why? Because it's large print and I can see it. But i got a preaching Bible. I've got a, a devotional Bible that I do to my devotions in. i got a study Bible that I study in. I've got Bibles everywhere. I've got them on my phone. I've got them in the car. We've got Bibles everywhere. We see, we see Bible verses on Chick-fil-A cups. We have them on, on pretty pictures in our, in our homes. The Bible, the Word of God, has become commonplace to us. So we don't long for it like they did. I've seen videos of, of Christians in China who have been saved for years but had never had a full copy of the Word of God. I've heard stories where they'll, they'll have pages that they pass around to different house churches because they don't have a full Bible, so they'll just pass a page around and get to read a page every couple months. But I saw a video a couple years ago of these believers in China who got a, a shipment of a case of Bibles. And man, they just went crazy grabbing those Bibles up and they're weeping over them and they're, they're cherishing them and they're kissing them. And I mean, we leave them in our pews. We leave them in our cars. We just To us, it's just oh, the Bible. Now this is the Holy precious word of God that if we do not truly understand how vital it is to our walk with God, to our relationship with him, to our life on earth, if we don't long for it, we'll never experience true worship. Now, the Israelites in this in in, in Nehemiah's day, again, the only person who had a copy of the word of God was the priest. That's a real good excuse to not read the Bible. If, if, if I'm like, hey, read your Bible every day. Well, I don't have a copy of the Word of God. Well, that's a, that's a good excuse not to read one, but I'll get you one. Or, I can't read. Okay, well, we'll figure something out. So they, they had a great excuse to say, well, I don't need to read the Bible because I don't have a Bible. I can't read anyway. But they longed for it so much that they begged Ezra to read it for them. To truly experience worship. We need a longing. For the word of God in our lives. Here's the second thing: to truly experience worship, it requires listening to God's word. Listening to God's word. Look at verse three again of chapter eight, and he read therein. Before the street, that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand, and the ears of the people were attentive unto the book of the law, and Ezra the scribe uh, stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him uh, stood all those people, and then skipped down to verse number 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people, and when he stood up, he opened it to all the people, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, and Amen, with the lifting of their hands, and they bowed their hands, and were for the Lord with their faces. Then skip down to verse 8. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctively and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. So they weren't just reading the Bible. I've, I've seen uh, people do this on Facebook and stuff where some, some preachers are like, hey, we're going to have a a, a 24 hour stream of someone reading the Bible, and they'd have just a camera set up, and people would come in throughout the day and just read, and just all they're doing is just reading the scripture. And look, that's great. You know, and it's great to have the Word of God read, but they weren't just up there reading the Word of God. They were preaching the Word of God to them. They were explaining what God meant in the Word of God. And so, what was going on? The Word of God just wasn't being read but they were listening to what was being said. They honored and they respected the Word of God. In verse 7, it says that as the Word of God was read, they stood up to honor the Word of God. And I know there's a lot of churches that during when, when a preacher reads the Word of God, they'll stand up for the, preaching, the reading of the Word of God. I'm not saying that we should do that, or that's wrong if we don't, or it's wrong if we do. But what it shows is not just a desire to hear the Word but an honor and a respect they had for the Word. They prayed and asked God to help them to love the Word of God, to listen to the Word of God, to understand the Word of God. They knew they needed God's wisdom to study and apply His Word to their lives. Then in verse 7 and 8, not only did they hear the Word of God being read to them, but the men of God preached the Word of God. They explained what God was saying to them. That is expository preaching. They took God's Word, they read it, and then they helped the people understand what it meant to them. To understand God's Word, you have to listen to the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. And look, not just listening to me sitting up here talking to you. Because a lot of y'all are listening to me. But you're not hearing me. You're, you're listening to what I'm saying, but it's, whew, whatever. I wish he'd shut up. It's already 1151. He's got, he's got nine minutes to shut up so I can get to Golden Corral. Don't go to Golden Corral. That's when I went there. I got appendicitis. I'm not sure it's their fault, but I'm saying it is anyway. Uh, but anyway, so but you've got to hear and understand what the Word of God means for you. One of my favorite uh, comic book strips of all time is Calvin and Hobbes. How many of y'all remember Calvin and Hobbes? Man, I love me some Calvin and Hobbes. And uh, one of my favorite ones is is Calvin of course he's running around chasing Hobbes and if you don't know what it is I'll pray for you <coughs> but he's chasing Hobbes his his stuffed tiger that everyone else sees as stuff but he sees it as real so he's inter- so he's chasing Hobbes around and his mom yells at him stop running around the house you're going to break something and of course you know the next next frame you get you know bonk crash bam he broke something so his mom comes running in the room and says what did I just tell you Calvin says, I don't know, I wasn't listening. That's what most of us do. We we maybe hear somebody preaching, but we're not listening. You know, in April, when our kids were babies, she had like supersonic hearing. Our kid could burp three rooms away and she'd hear it. Middle of the night, dead sleep, they whimper. Did you hear, go get the baby, something's wrong with the baby. You know why? Because she was listening for them. We need to listen for God speaking to us through His Word. Donald Whitney, in the book Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life, says since worship is focusing on God and responding to God, regardless of what else we are doing, we are not worshiping, worshiping if we are not listening to God. You may listen to me preach, but you need to understand how the Word of God applies to your life. How you are to take what God says. How does this, not just, okay, that's great, man, he read a good story, I'm glad they did it in Ezra and Nehemiah, but okay, how does what is happening in Nehemiah, how do I apply it to my life today? How do I use it to, to treat people today? How does it How does it affect my relationship with God today? If we're not listening to the Word of God and and, and having it taught to us, we are not worshiping God. The third thing it requires, we're going to experience true worship. It requires letting God speak to us through His Word. Letting God speak through His Word. Verse number, uh, chapter eight, look at verse number nine. And Nehemiah, <clears throat> which is, uh, and Ezra the priest, the scribe and the Levites taught the people, that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They listened to God's Word being read to them. They listened to the preaching of the Word of God so they knew what God was trying to say, what God was trying to teach them and it broke their heart. They started weeping. Why? Because they realized how wicked they had been. They realized how much they had disobeyed the Word of God. What we see here is conviction of sin. Letting God tell you in His Word... What is wrong, what what is wrong, what is sin in your life, and what needs to be corrected, what needs to be confessed and repented, the Word of God convicted them of their sin, it broke them over their past, it broke their heart over how they had mistreated God. They had come back to Jerusalem after years of exile that God had put them in because of their sin. And they come back and they build the temple and they build the walls and they reestablish everything and they realize, we're doing exactly what we had done before. We're still ignoring God. We're still disobeying God. We're still worshiping idols over God. And they were heartbroken over their sin. Look at verse number 10. Then He said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet. God wants us to eat fat stuff and drink sweet tea, okay? Biblical proof right there. Bacon and sweet tea is good for you. Uh, eat the fat and drink the sweet, and send portions of them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. See? Right after they hear the Word of God, they're heartbroken, they're crying, they're weeping, they're destroyed over what they've done to God. Nehemiah says, don't cry over that. Go eat eat the fat, drink some sweet tea, prepare some food for those who don't have any, because the joy of the Lord is strength. Here's, Here's what God is trying to tell us. God doesn't want us, when we're convicted of our sin to just wallow in the shame of it. I can't believe God, I would do that. Why would God use me after I've done that, after i said that, if I treated people that way, after I treated Him that way. You know, God doesn't want us wallowing in our sin. He wants to give us freedom from our sin. He wants to deliver us, not just from the penalty of sin, and the power of sin, but the pain that that sin has caused us. He's delivering us from our Past, See, conviction is not a burden. Conviction is a gift of God. Because first of all, it shows us where we need to get right. We're convicted of our sin. We confess it. We forsake it. We turn from it and turn to God. But then God says, I gave you that conviction to free you and to give you joy over the sin that you've just had victory over. So conviction brings freedom, which brings joy. So Nehemiah says, look, it's good you're heartbroken. It's good you're convicted. It's good you realized how wicked you have been because now you can do better, and that should give you joy because God is freeing you from the burden of that sin. True worship brings conviction. True worship brings deliverance and joy that comes through hearing and listening to the Word of God. And look, the greatest conviction, the greatest joy we could ever experience is hearing how God feels about our original sin. About hearing from the Word of God that we're all born sinners. We're all born rebels to God. Enemies of God. Doomed and deserving of hell. But God loved us so much that He sent His Son to live a life we cannot live. To live a sinless life perfect life that we never could, to be arrested and die on the cross for our sins, not His, because He was sinless, to absorb the wrath of God for our sins, to be buried and rise again three days later, to reconcile us and redeem us to God the Father, to see that God did everything to save us that we never could because He loved us, and we're convicted of that and put our faith and trust in His death, burial, and resurrection for salvation. Then that brings the greatest joy and the greatest freedom because we know He did what we could not, and now we get to spend eternity with Him. But after salvation, we're still sinners. See, we're... It's kind of a, a, a paradox. We're seen as sinless before God, but we're really sinners. So we're, we're sinless in His eyes, but we still have sin that breaks our fellowship and hurts our relationship with God that God still, through the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, reveals to us and says, Hey, That's something you need to get right. Look, some of you, while I was studying this this week, God convicted me that I don't cherish the Word of God like I should. That to me, the Bible... And you're like, man, your job is to study it and to preach it. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not only reading my preaching Bible. I've got 47 pages open on my computer that I'm using to study. I'm reading the original. I'm looking at the Hebrew and the Greek. I'm trying to get the deep meaning to give it to you. But God laid on my heart and says, do you really, are you doing it just to, cause it's your job? Or do you truly cherish the Word of God? Maybe God convicted you of that this morning. That man, I have a Bible, but I don't, I don't really cherish it like I should. I don't desire it. I don't long for it like I should. That's conviction that God wants to have so we can say, God, I need to, I need to change and get back to a, a life that You have for me. Our greatest joy as a believer is hearing God speak to us through His Word. If we are truly going to rebuild, going to restore, going to experience true worship, it's going to take more than just coming to church singing a few songs, listening to me preach for a while. It's going to take building our lives, not just our church, our lives on a foundation of the Word of God. We have to long for it, not just on Sunday, but every day. Say, God, I have to have Your Word i got to read it. i got to study it. i got to hear it preached to me. We long for it to be read to us, to be preached to us. must listen to it. And not just listen to what, the, what is being preached, but allow God to speak to us through His Word. Because here's the thing. I can preach this message and my, what God laid on my heart, so that's what I'm giving to you, is you know what? We don't cherish the Word of God like we should. Maybe you're sitting here listening and God laid something completely different on your heart. Like, man, I need to... I need to treat my wife better. I, not, I didn't say anything about that. But God may have spoke to you. God may have laid something on your heart that you think, man, I need to... That's letting God speak to you through the Word. Don't ignore it. Don't say, ah, that's not for me. No, no, no. Whatever God laid on your heart this morning, deal with it, make the change, and experience the freedom and the joy that it has for us through the Word of God. Pray, Heavenly Father, Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.